Welcome back to the T-Druff, the Film Buff Podcast, episode 48. Uh, missed last week, only a couple more episodes until the 50th. What the hell am I going to do for that 50th episode? I have no idea. Uh, doesn't really matter. Let's go ahead and get into what we have uh, on the schedule for today. I thought, you know, as you just hear the motorcycle, just reference engine in the background there, uh, I thought I, I, I had to just have a brief little discussion, maybe it won't even be brief at all, but uh, on my thoughts on The Leftovers. Uh, you know, the show ran from 2014 to 2017. For some reason, I mean, I had HBO throughout all those years, and for some reason, I never checked it out. It's kind of weird even looking back. Like, I, I had HBO, and I basically watched Game of Thrones, True Detective, I think Big Little Lies came out, in that time frame um and that i mean i'm trying to think if there's really anything else i watched ballers for a season maybe a season and a half i don't remember if i tuned into season two um but it, it's it's weird looking back thinking like why why didn't i watch leftovers the show is so up my alley the heavy drama almost a, a weird fantastical uh, supernatural element to it uh, with very layered characters. I had heard great reviews on it. I'm a big Carrie Coon fan. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, what else? Why would I have not watched this? I don't know. I don't have an explanation for it. Uh, I really, really don't. But uh, I think quarantine has kind of made me realize what shows I kind of want to start binging since everybody has so much more time now, or at least the perception of more time. Uh, so I started the show back in mid-March, right around, I think it was like a couple days before kind of the world went on lockdown, or maybe a couple days after, sometime around there, and I wanted to, to draw it out, uh, you know, for a couple months, and uh, of course, this this lawn care outside is, is just going nuts, but, you know, we're going to ignore it, maybe, maybe, the, maybe the mic can't even pick it up, I don't know, uh, but uh, I wanted to draw it out a couple months. It's only 28 episodes. You have 10 episodes first season, 10 episodes second season, 8 episodes the third season. Uh, because after about midway through the first season, I realized, yeah, this this show is, is something special. Uh, and when I have something special on my hands that, that I know is, is there's, there's an ending to it, um, similar situation, I guess, with Walking Dead back when I started binging it, during the season six run, I think of things, uh, where I was binging so many episodes and I'm like, wait, 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 I, I gotta take a step back here, slow down a little bit, um, because I know that there's only a certain amount of episodes I can get to. Whereas like, you know, when a new season of Ozark, let's say it comes out, even though I did take my time with season three of Ozark, uh, I know there's gonna be another season. So like, you know, I can binge it, and then I know there's going to be more in a year. So it's really not that big of a deal if I just watch 10 episodes in a week and a half. With Leftovers, I knew that this show was something else. I mean, I, there's really no other way to describe it, but bizarrely beautiful, strange, very detailed character storytelling. If any of those words make any sense together, I don't know, but it is... It is so freaking spectacular, and I did finish it, what was it, last Thursday maybe, um, watched the final two episodes together, and man, oh man, 
I I already missed the show. I already missed the show. I mean, I'm starting it again, from season one onward, binging it with the sisters now, and I I'm just appreciating that all the storytelling, the character, the, the building they do with each character in season one, and honestly, you don't know what the show is about during season one. You don't really even know what it's about in season two. You really kind of realize what the show is ultimately about in the third season, and for some people, you know that's probably take it takes too long to get to that point right and i understand that if if you don't if you can't get through the first two three episodes of the show and it doesn't hook you in then you you might not make it um but i think that ultimate conclusion of what happens in season three is perhaps one of the most if not the most satisfying finale that i've ever seen i think friends certainly has a a very satisfying finale um, Breaking Bad has a good finale. I don't know if that show... There, there really wasn't a good way to end that show other than the, the way they did it. It didn't feel... It, it just felt like it happened. It didn't feel like, oh my God, that was a fantastic finale. I'm so happy it ended that way. It was like you kind of knew the certain direction that show was going after a couple seasons. Like You knew there was only one way Breaking Bad ends, and I won't even spoil it here, but it, it, there really is only one way it ends. Um... And, I mean, Game of Thrones, of course, I love the finale, even as divisive it is. I think there's also no other way you really could have ended that show with many of those characters looking back. Um, Walking Dead is still going on. Arrow finished this past year. Um, very satisfying, but it's nowhere near as satisfying. It's the leftovers. I, I legitimately, I'm looking at, let's just go ahead and pull up, because I was going to do this anyway. Let's go ahead and pull up my list of... Uh, all the TV shows that I've seen and I ranked them. And of course, it's not, you know, as to the T as maybe if I sat down and, and ranked them, it would be. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it. Maisel's still going on. Fleabag had a very satisfying finale. I can't I can't deny that. Peaky Blinder's still going on. Sharp Objects is a miniseries, so you can't really do that. Daredevil, it had a great ending but I, I feel like there's way more story to tell there. Fargo's just an anthology anyway. Glow, I'm waiting to see how Glow ends. Uh, I really am. Um, Afterlife, my God, that show is freaking phenomenal. Uh, I've already talked about it a couple times on here, but I, I really, really love that show. Uh, of course, but I mean, like, I'm just looking through all these, and either a lot of these shows are still happening, or there was a ton of divisiveness to the finale. Uh, whether it be a mini series or, or a series that's ongoing, it, it's tough to really land. Uh, and I was listening to an interview with Damon Lindelof about this, like, and he he realized that he kind of took a step back after, you know, how he finished Lost. And of course, I've never seen Lost. I've, I've kind of heard too much about it to really care to sit down and watch it now. Um, there's just, to me, it was, it is the perfect show to binge from what I hear. But it's too long of a commitment for a finale that many people don't like, if that makes any sense. Um, but I was listening to him talking. He's like, he knew he needed to not necessarily make the best finale, but make the finale that people are, are still going to be talking about when they talk about the show. And they, they talk about the themes. They talk about the, the conclusion of certain arcs and how satisfying a certain element of uh, somebody's arc was, you know, that sort of thing. And he absolutely nailed it. Um, 
you know, with leftovers. And to me, honestly, in my favorites, and of course, this isn't like how great the show is. I rank this this list specifically to me uh, is every TV show I've seen ranked, but it should really say favorite ranked because um, I still have Thrones at number one, Friends two, Arrow three, The Leftovers four, and then you have Walking Dead, Maisel, Fleabag, Blinders, Sharp Objects, Breaking Bad, Daredevil. Um, I I can honestly see the leftovers hopping over Arrow. I I cannot. I honestly, it has been so long since I've I've felt this great about a show, and I hate building things up like this. Um, but there's just something about how well this show hit my tastes with with TV specifically, um, because I kind of go into TV and movies a little bit differently. I think for movies. I like dark stuff with movies, but I almost kind of veer more towards the, the movies that make me feel something very emotional, but at the same time, they give me a happy ending. Uh, and I think the reason why I loved The Leftovers so much was because it was so dreary at times, uh, but it had that feeling. You you were kind of depressed after a certain amount of episodes, but you you wanted to hop right back into the next one. And I think the only time I ever watched back-to-back episodes was the final two episodes, surprisingly. Um, it's pretty, I mean, I, I'm honestly amazed myself thinking about it. And yeah, I think that is actually true. Um, I would watch like one episode, take three, four days off, watch another episode and just, and man, I mean, I wish there was three more seasons. But also, I love shows that end, and it's just as satisfying as it would be uh, if there were seven seasons. Like you, you feel like that show had the perfect length, and you could have even ended after season one. I know it's based on a book, and there's only one book, and I think the ending of season one is the ending of the book, from what I understand. And they went, you know, in their own direction in season two. And in season three, and the ending of season two is also perfect. Like you can end the show right there, uh, and it would feel satisfying. But at the same time, I can't picture the show without the ending of season three. And when you really realize, and this is kind of going more into spoiler territory with the leftovers, um, so you know, spoiler warning. But when you really realize the show is a love story between Kevin and Nora, and it's about two broken people who have to go through what the other person is going through to truly understand the scope of the tragedy of their own lives. Um, as generic as that sounds, that is exactly really what the finale is. And, and the only way I truly kind of understood this was just continuing to watch YouTube videos about it. Like they had always been there and I listened to so many podcast or not podcasts, but uh, read through so many interviews and, um, I read through so many reviews throughout the series. I really loved just looking up a review for a certain episode, just typing it in and reading how a certain person thought, uh, you know, during that episode when it aired. Um, but when you, like, when you truly understand that this show, this weird ass, just, I, I honestly don't even know how it stayed on the air this long show, uh, especially if, for HBO and you had they have such a high standard at HBO and I'm not talking about quality I'm talking about it, it, the viewership wasn't that high I think they got under a million viewers every episode not that you can really 
you know, take that into account every time. Um, certainly for a lot of networks and a lot of studios, that's what the main driver is for if a show stays on the air. I don't know how Netflix and Hulu and Amazon do it because we really will never know the viewership numbers of a lot of their networks, but uh, HBO has a channel, right? So we know, at least Nielsen ratings-wise, we know. Um, and we'll get into HBO streaming service in a little bit, which is kind of where I finished up the show, um, which is funny because I started getting the DVDs from the library, got the first season, loved the first two or three episodes, and I'm like, you know what? I think I'm just going to get HBO now and watch this in HD, like true HD instead of the DVDs from the library. It feels like, you know, I, I it just it felt right to me. So I was like, you know what? Yeah, that's absolutely what I'm going to do. Uh, instead, I want to support HBO for making this show, first of all. But, I mean, that's not really the main driver. The main driver is the quality is better uh, in HD than it would be in DVD. Anyway, I'm sidetracked here, but uh, I absolutely, absolutely loved The Leftovers. I think that the video that the, the YouTube channel called Jump the Shark did on The Leftovers is 22 minutes long. And really the ending of it is picture perfect. Um, and, and I absolutely... I, I truly love the show. I can't gush about it enough. Um, yeah, man, I'm going to be I mean, searching for a, a replacement for the show for a long time. I mean, uh, you know, we're going to get into some of the stuff I've started watching over the last week or, or so. But uh, The Leftovers, it's, it's going to be, there's going to be a gap there. I, mean, I, I really try hard to find shows that are up my alley. And when I do, it's, it's this, like, revelation. The Leftovers was absolutely... Um, one of those like Twin Peaks was another one of those like two two three three years ago three years ago I binged that uh, first or the really the only two seasons of it and then watched <clears throat> the Showtime revival of it which you know was weird on its own anyway but uh, no that that's another show that's very up my alley um, you know so we'll see we'll see uh, but speaking of HBO uh, the last time I recorded an episode, I mentioned that HBO Max was coming out the week after. Didn't have an episode last week, but uh, HBO Max did launch. A um, couple things that kind of made me scratch my head about the service, and I'm just going to go ahead and pull up the thing anyway. But a couple, I'm going to pull up the app, I mean, a couple of, of you know, interesting question marks, I should say, uh, about the service to start. I mean, they don't even have 4K content, okay? So... Netflix, I think, only added 4K two years ago, I believe. I could be wrong on that. Um, but, but I mean, I have 4K with Netflix, and it's glorious. Uh, and, and specifically, the HDR elements of it are, are really great because um, you don't get that with a normal HDTV. Probably the normal person doesn't really realize the difference between all of it, but uh, I certainly do. Uh, and, and I absolutely love it with Netflix. Amazon, I, yeah, Amazon has 4K. I've watched Maisel in 4K. It's really, really great. Um, let's see, Hulu. I don't I don't really ever have Hulu, so I don't know if they have 4K. Um, Quibi doesn't matter. It's all on the phone. What other streaming services am I forgetting about here? Oh, Apple TV. Apple TV Plus absolutely has 4K. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to go through my... Yep, that one does, that one does, that one does. Yeah, but it's weird. HBO Max had all this time 
and they chose not to do 4K streaming. I almost wonder, no, that can't be. I Honestly, I don't know. I don't know what their reasoning could be. I just, I know that the guy said it is in their plans. It's just not something right now that they're going to have. Um, so I'm hoping, fingers crossed, I'm hoping that he's not going to come out and say it's some stupid, like, oh, it's a $3 more a month price. Like, come on. Like, come on, dude. Don't do that to me. Don't do that to me. I need my 4K content. Oh, speaking of 4K, I mean, I got I Am Legend in 4K today in the mail. I uh, wanted that one for a while. Had a good price at Best Buy. Got that. Doesn't even matter. It's not even in topic right now. We're talking about HBO Max, but I can't wait to watch I Am Legend in 4K. Anyway, so they're, they don't have 4K content, and then they're not, and this doesn't matter. I have a smart TV. But they're not even available on Roku or Amazon Fire Stick yet. I mean, that accounts for, I think I saw the stat, like 70, is it 70 million households watch streaming apps through a Roku or Amazon Fire Stick? It's like, yeah, of course that's the case because a lot of these smart TVs are old as shit and they can't update the apps, so the apps don't work. Like, I, that's what happened on one of our TVs. Uh, we have a Roku back at, at the family home. Uh, I just use the smart TV here, but I also do have a Roku in case I wanted to use that because it, it is, it's just an easy way to look at all the apps. Boom, 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 done. And it's, it's just very weird. It's just very, why have you not struggled? You've had all this time. I always, I almost wonder if the reason, because they were going to air or they were going to debut, uh, HBO Max was at least going to debut, I think May 7th. Um, or May 8th, one of the two, I think it might have been May 8th, now that I'm thinking about it. Um, and they decided to hold off for like three more weeks to May 27th, whatever it was. And I was like, okay, um, what could be that three-week holdup? Like, what are they waiting for in these three weeks? Are they waiting for certain episodes to be edited? Because they barely had any HBO Max original content to begin with. Uh, so in that three-week time, were they trying to, you know, negotiate with Roku and Amazon Fire Stick, and they just figured, oh, you know, we'll give ourselves three weeks to, to get a deal with these guys, and I'm sure it'll happen, um, you know, in that time. And then it just doesn't. <laughs> like, you got to strike a deal with them. And they struck a deal, like, that night of the debut with Comcast, so that, you know, current HBO subscribers through Comcast can get easy access or free access to HBO Max. That's like, okay, that's cool. Cool, but, like, you gotta get, you, I mean, you just have to get a deal with Roku and Amazon Fire Stick. There's so many millions of people out there that have no idea what HBO Max is, and they need it to appear on their Roku or Fire Stick as an available app to download, because they don't know. They're hearing, oh, what is this HBO Max? Just another HBO product? Well, I don't even have HBO anyway. Well, I have HBO now. What is this? Is it the same thing? So many people are confused. They need to clear shit up for them because it's just, it, in this day and age, people want easy answers, um, and HBO certainly isn't giving it to them with them. But, and let's, let's just scroll through the app real quick because, okay, so the big thing is they got the Friends library, they got Harry Potter library, they got all the HBO original content to begin with. But here's the thing. Um, their HBO Max original stuff is basically uh, Love Life, 
legend or legendary i'm sorry legendary and then like some looney tune stuff like yo you gotta have a flagship show to debut with here if you're gonna really make people and not that they're paying more if they're any of hbo but like to, to actually you know commit the effort to to starting a new streaming series and i'll get into my thoughts about love life because i have started the show but man i mean i don't know the harry potter thing was a surprise because i think they said that they weren't going to have it for like another three four years or something on the service which was very surprising they must have struck a deal with uh um hulu i think who had the, the rights to it and hulu also apparently i think have the rights to the Dark Knight trilogy because Batman Begins, Dark Knight, and Dark Knight Rises are not on HBO Max. Not that I need them to be on HBO Max. I have all three of them on 4K, um, just as I do with the Star Wars trilogy. But I also want... I like the fact that Disney Plus has them in 4K and they're just on service. It's just weird that they're like... They have this whole... You know, they have the HBO Max hubs, right? So they have the little collections that you can click on um, that'll give you the option like, oh, DC, Sesame Street, Studio Ghibli, right? So you click on DC and you're thinking, oh, you're going to see, you know, all the, the great DC content in here. It's like, okay, so they have 1989 Batman, uh, Batman Forever, a couple Batman animated movies, uh, Batman Returns, Batman and Robin, Batman v Superman, a couple Batman series, but not even the animated Batman series, Joker, Justice League, Green Lantern, Lego Batman, Shazam, Steel, Suicide Squad, Supergirl, Teen Titans, Teen Titans Go, Watchmen, which really isn't even DC, Wonder Woman, and a couple more animated movies. But you have, first of all, not a single Superman film on here. Not a single Superman film on here. Batman v Superman is not a Superman film. It's not a Superman film. Not a single, I mean, I, I'm shocked. And they don't even have the Dark Knight trilogy. This is stuff that they said they were going to have, and maybe they'd be using a month. But again, it's just, it feels like something you got, you gotta, you gotta debut with it. You just, I don't know. It feels like a missed opportunity to debut with more stuff there. Um, But maybe I'm wrong. The stuff I am actually really excited about is the TCM section. Um, I mean, A through Z, I mean, you can you can scroll a long time before getting to the end of this one. Um, there is just so many good options in here. Because, you know, HBO naturally has fantastic uh, collection of films. But, I mean, you just look at random, you just scroll and you randomly, you got... Gary Gunn Ross, I think all the Godzilla movies are on here, which is awesome. Bunch of Charlie Chaplin stuff, which is fantastic. Um, apparently the 25 version and the 42 version. I didn't even know there were two different versions of that film, so that's great. Gone with the Wind, um, you know, Jaws is on here. Um, Lean on Me, Lolita. Um, Lord of the Flies, like, I'm just scrolling through this, and there is so, I mean, I can get just lost in, in this. There's so much great content that I cannot wait to go through and watch some of these. Um, man, I mean, I didn't even really look through all this yet. Mr. and Mrs. Smith is under the TCM section. I love it. I love that. 
Um, <laughs> uh, okay. That is just great. I love that. And the Studio Ghibli, they have, I think they have every single Studio Ghibli film, which I've seen about eight, nine, I think. So I got to get into that. They have the Cartoon Network collection, which is great because there's tons of stuff on there that uh, I'm sure will be great to revisit or honestly see for the first time because it's been a long time since I've seen some Cartoon Network stuff. They, I mean, they have great content on here. I just think there, there's some hiccups there that they could have prevented probably at launch. Um, anyway, let's move on to the next topic, which is another Warner Brothers product. Um here it is, as Jeff Snyder calls it on the Snyder Cut, uh, the Snyder Cut podcast. It's Tenant Watch. Da, 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 da. There's still no updated release date. And again, the closer we get, I'm kind of starting to feel like there might be a chance that this film actually comes out July 17th. And that trailer that was released last week, um, or actually two weeks ago now, I have such mixed thoughts on it because, for one, I've only watched it two or three times because I don't even really want to know anything else about the movie, and I feel like that trailer was kind of spoilery. As cool as it was aesthetically, and how they showed what other products or films uh, Nolan has directed in, in a very artistically manner, um, it just felt very plot-heavy and three minutes long for a trailer. for Nolan. I expected Nolan trailers to be better than that because normally they are. Because uh, you can go back and watch any Nolan trailer from the past, and they do not give away the movie. They just don't, at least from the last 10 years. Um, but I love that it said, you know, coming to theaters soon. So, like, what does that mean? They didn't even say the date in the trailer. It's because they don't know. They don't know, and they don't think they still know. But I did say, you know, by June 1st, we're going to know. Because they're going to have to start, get that, start getting that marketing campaign going. But we're June. this is June 1st today, and we still don't know. Um, so... I don't know. I mean, could this be, could this be a decision they don't make until late June, like a couple weeks out? That seems risky. We're we're six weeks out from the movie, guys. I mean, anything can happen. I mean, certainly six weeks ago was like middle of April, and we were starting to really, really get hit, hit bad here in the U.S. with the coronavirus, and the cases are certain certainly slowly going down. Um, but it's not like it's going away anytime soon. I mean, this is going to be a long process before we're fully recovered from this. Uh, so I'm, I'm still fascinated by the situation. Uh, and I got to imagine Mulan is also waiting for Tenet. Uh, and Wonder Woman, of course, will be waiting for Tenet. It just doesn't make sense. Why doesn't Tenet just move to Wonder Woman's date now and just move Wonder Woman already? Because I, I don't know. It, it, there's just no way that they both come out, right? There's no way that probably either of them come out but there's no way that both of them come out it just seems too good to be true um so i don't know and, and i love that there's all these articles about how the fact that no one knows what this movie's about um like michael came was saying that uh and i think it was, was it john david washington was also saying something like that uh, i don't know it, it's interesting a couple of tidbits of news here before we get into what i'm watching uh, Doug Lyman apparently did sign on to the Tom Cruise space film, and yeah, it's the, the the film that he's legitimately going to space to film at some point. I bet you that doesn't even come out till like twenty twenty three, maybe even twenty twenty four at this point. Uh, he's he's pretty busy with Mission Impossible for the next two years, so um, I don't know. I don't know if Cruise is. I don't know if I don't know if that film's actually gonna happen. 
Um, but I like that they at least signed a direct round. That means there's at least some story there. Um, whether it's Macquarie writing it or not, I'm stoked. I, I love, love, love the the kind of myth of, of Tom Cruise to begin with. Um, but I love his films also. Um, uh, do we want to get into the Cavill stuff? I guess we will. Um, yeah, so I mean, there was a couple reports, further reports. Like, oh, is Cavill signing on to Cameo and Aquaman 2 or Shazam 2 Black Adam, like Justin Kroll's reporting one thing, another site's saying another thing, and then John Campia comes out and says, yep, all right, so I've heard from two different sources that, uh, you know, Henry Cavill is going to be back as Superman, and J.J. Abrams is directing it, uh, the Superman movie, and then another source said, J.J. Abrams is definitely on to produce it, maybe directing it, and Henry Cavill is likely to be Superman in it, so... Can you ever really believe John Campia, as much as I love him? Can you ever really believe him? Probably not. Uh, and he says so. He, he, he absolutely says it right off the bat uh, in the video of him kind of breaking down where he heard this news. He says, don't run with this. Of course, not that I'm running with it. I'm not a major podcast news site, uh, but I'm certainly discussing with it because I, I, I think that there is some legitimacy to, to this news for sure. Uh, I, I just think it's so dumb on Warner Brothers' part to not even consider uh doing another superman movie it has been seven years and at this point even if they greenlit the super movie superman movie right now if they greenlit it right now that a director that a cast they're not going to start shooting that more than likely until top of 2021 probably even spring of 2021 so let's say they do that at the earliest this thing comes out summer 2022 okay and that is best case scenario. So more than likely, we're looking at a 2023 summer uh, release date. That will be 10 years since the first Man of Steel film. So I can understand why they don't want to maybe, they just want a fresh start. I can understand that. But what I can't understand is why it took them three years to make a decision one way or another. What have they been waiting for? Henry Cavill isn't getting any younger. Of course, he's not looking any older. Guy stays in great shape. He's got The Witcher, so you know he's going to be in great shape year-round anyway because he's going to have to film that three, four months out of the year. However, it, I don't know. That whole situation pisses me off more than I could even say. Uh, and it just, it's so frustrating to talk about because Man of Steel is an, a freaking masterpiece. Um, and they just won't make a proper sequel. Ugh. All right. Apple apparently struck a deal with Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio uh, for like over $200 million as the budget for Killers of the Flower Moon, which is, I think, the Paramount movie that is either moving to Apple or it's like a co-producing thing. Either way, why do you need $200 million to make this film? I, I was under the impression this was like a crime thriller. Something like Inception doesn't even cost 90% of that. Well, let's look up a, a log line of Killers of the Flower Moon here. Okay, here we go. It's the third nonfiction book uh, by journalist David Gan or Gran. The book was released in April of 2017. Uh, okay, so the synopsis is the book investigates a series of murders of wealthy Osage people that took place 
in Osage County, Oklahoma in the early 1920s after big oil deposits were discovered beneath their land. After the Osage Native Americans are awarded rights in court to the profits made by the oil uh, deposits found in their land, the Osage people prepare for receiving the wealth to which they believe they are legally entitled from sales and all their oil deposits. That doesn't even sound like a thriller. That just sounds like a drama. So why in the world that's going to cost $200 million or more? I think there's like a tax credit they're getting for like $30 million or something like that. Whatever the case may be, I mean, Martin Scorsese is just in the business of making big budget movies now, I guess. Um, so fascinating. Of course, I'm going to be there day one. I'll be there opening night for this, whether that's a straight to streaming or it's in the theaters. I'll be there. I'll be there watching it. I love these guys, but it just shocks me. It, it absolutely shocks me that Paramount and Apple are doing this, but Apple's got the money. I don't know if Paramount has that money to just lose, but Apple certainly got the money. Uh, not that I give, uh, not that I care too much about this, but Cobra Kyle, uh, Cobra Kyle, Cobra Kai is up for sale because YouTube TV can't, uh, or not YouTube TV, YouTube Premium, YouTube Red, whatever it's called these days is uh, not moving forward with season four. I think they haven't, they have season three finished and they're not going to put it out, I guess, until they sell it um, to a streamer, which to my understanding looks like it's going to be Netflix or Hulu. I would still assume that will be Hulu, I mean Netflix, unless Hulu comes in there with a big offer they can't refuse. It just seems more like a Netflix fit to me. Um, and I wonder I don't think these people are really going to care where it goes. So I wonder if there's some sort of back incentive they get, um, if there's a certain amount of views or something like that. Probably not. It's probably a straight sale. Um, but, you know, I don't I don't really care about the show. I've watched, I think, two or three of the Karate Kid movies, and I liked them, but it wasn't something... I, I mean, it's just not my generation. Uh, but I might check out this show if it ends up on Netflix. I mean, I have Netflix. It's not going anywhere in... Uh, away anytime soon just another thing to put on the list of netflix that probably won't get watched for another couple years uh what am i watching well before we get to that that you know i gotta i gotta give a shout out dylan o'brien sarah ramos that, that rendition of the, the social network the social network scene like the scene from that movie that everybody talks about um it's absolutely incredible really well done uh, so I would encourage anybody to see that. I think it's on Twitter and Instagram. It is, it's, it's amazing how well Dylan O'Brien does a good Andrew Garfield. Uh, all right. Well, what am I watching? I mentioned I finished Leftovers. I finished Friends from College, which I actually think was a surprisingly well done series, even though it looked like the reviews, I guess, were really bad on it. And I, I, I don't necessarily disagree with the reviews saying that. The characters were not necessarily likable and like you know it's hard to root for anybody in the show that they're all doing despicable things i think that's kind of the point um but then again i've been on that side of reviewing something where i say well why, what's the point of me watching this if i can't root for anybody if i don't see myself in anybody or if i don't see uh you, you know redeemable qualities and character, but i i certainly did in friends from college and at the very least i think the show's pretty freaking funny um, so that it was solid. Um, probably deserved another season, but hey, what can I say? There's too much stuff to watch out there these days. I finished Defending Jacob this week as well. 
that had a a rough, rough ending. That show is, is heavy. I mean, The Leftovers is heavy, but in a different sense. Leftovers almost doesn't feel real at times in, in its heaviness. Whereas Defending Jacob, I mean, that's... I mean, you're in the thick of it with this family that's dealing with their uh, their 15-year-old son in, in a murder case with another boy in his school. I mean, it is it is rough. Um, really, really heavy stuff. Great, great acting from Jaden Martell, Chris Evans, J.K. Simmons. I think the standout here is Michelle Dockery, though. Um, I certainly think she'll be up for an Emmy. Uh, at this point, it's hard to say who else would be in her category. Limited series, probably, so... Or, no, it would be a miniseries, right? It wouldn't be a limited series, like Sharp Objects is a miniseries as well. I never know how they define these things, but um, that was fantastic. I finished Run, which is another HBO show that I think is on the other end uh, of the, the stick of something like Defending Jacob. I think Run started off a little slow, um, funny, but a little slow. Episodes four through six, four through seven, uh, whatever the, the the middle full middle three or four episodes, really really good. Like it, it really started to pick up once a certain event happens in the show, and then I think the the ending just kind of felt like, wait, that's it? Did they not finish the series? Is there not one more episode to kind of wrap things up here? Is this really where we're gonna leave things? And yeah, it it really is. That was that's exactly where it ends. Um, so that I don't know. That show didn't leave the best taste in my mouth. As funny as Phoebe Waller Bridge is in that series for her brief moments, um, as funny as Donald Gleason um, is uh, and Merritt Weaver, I don't know. I I just don't think it ended well, and I think the ending is the most important part of the story to me. So. If you don't finish that well, you're not going to get my vote. But anyway, uh, I'm in the middle of I Know This Much Is True. I've seen three, episode, three episodes now. The fourth one came out last night. i got to watch that also on HBO Max. Another very, very heavy show. Really, really well done. Mark Ruffalo certainly should be up for an Emmy. Um, Rosie O'Donnell surprisingly really good in this series. Like, Where has Rosie O'Donnell been? Uh, I haven't seen her in anything. And then all of a sudden, she's in this show, and you don't even really recognize her. Uh, but she's fantastic. A um, couple episodes left of Killing Eve this season. I think the finale aired last night, so I'm two episodes behind. That show has really gone down in quality, sadly. Um, I find myself looking at my phone every 20 minutes in that show. I, It feels like the same thing is happening over and over again each week. And I just don't know where the quality of the show went. It feels like it went out the window once Phoebe Waller-Bridge left the show. Um, and season two, I thought, was actually pretty solid. Like, I enjoyed my time in season two. But, man, I mean, season three, you get, like, one scene between Jodie Comer and and, um, and Sandra Oh, and that's it. Uh, I mean, that's that's the fun of the show right there. It's their dynamic, and you get one scene with them so far. I mean, I'm hoping the last two uh, will change my mind on that. But I, I just don't know. I mean... Where the hell is the show gone? Um, really enjoying the Disney Gallery Mandalorian docu series. I think that's very interesting. I've watched a couple of movies over the last week or so. I saw Identity uh, with uh, John Cusack. Uh, it was solid. Uh, it, interesting ending. Thought provoking ending. Uh, I don't know if it earned it completely, but it was interesting. 
Uh, I really enjoyed the Patriot last week. It's it's like a, uh, you know, not as good version of Braveheart if uh, Braveheart if Mel Gibson was an American. Uh, similar type story, um, kind of a, a group of people that rallies around him as their center uh, during a war. Uh, but I, I, I really enjoyed it. I liked uh, A Dog's Life. It's the, the Chaplin movie. Um, there's certainly some really special material in there. There's a scene in which he's stealing some bread, uh, which is glorious to watch. I mean, Chaplin is the king uh, of silent era comedy to me. I mean, there, there's nobody even close. Buster Keaton's good, but Chaplin is Chaplin is it. Um, so I really enjoyed A Dog's Life. It's 30 minutes on HBO Max as well. Um, I started, and this is also HBO Max, I started Love Life. Uh, it's basically their flagship series, even though I wouldn't consider that a flagship series. Uh, but Anna Kendrick is the lead, and it's basically telling the story of uh, a person's love life uh, from beginning uh, to end, or where they are now, I guess, over every year is a different year, or every episode is a different year, I should say. And every episode is a different person, a different lover in her life. Uh, just kind of, it gets you from one day to the end. And it kind of basically shows you that a lot of relationships don't work out. And eventually you're going to get where you're going. Just got to, you got to work through the shit. So I've enjoyed it so far, to be honest. I, surprisingly, I think it's, it's, a, it's a solid series. And maybe I'm just kind of a sucker for these type of stories. But I, I actually found some legitimate quality in the show so far and the music choices uh, have been on point in fact for the last minute or so of the episode i'm just going to play in the background uh, a song that they had uh, playing at the end of the first episode uh first or second episode and you know what it's not like i'm gonna get flagged for this nobody listens to this podcast anyway but um yeah so I, I'm, I'm watching love life and uh i think it's pretty solid so far um, I also started last night Outlander series that I've been wanting to start for years. I've heard great things about it. It's just not completely up my alley, so I've waited a while. Um, but the first three seasons, I think, are on Netflix. Uh, and so I chose to start that last night. I was choosing between that, Broad Church, uh, and what was it, Sopranos maybe was another thing I wanted to start watching. Anyway, um, so first episode was good didn't completely hook me um but we're gonna see where it goes because i've heard great things um i mean i've sat in on like two or three panels of this cast at various comic cons you know over the years and i just i know things about the show i've just never actually seen the show uh so i I felt it was time it was time and of course i'm also watching game of thrones i mean when am i not watching game of thrones uh watched baylor last night which of course is the tragic end to ned stark um, but that's what I'm watching as of now. And that's going to pretty much do it here uh, for the T-Draft the Film Buff Podcast, episode 48, two to go until 50. Take care.